0: Good morning. I'm Darrell Gunter, your host for leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. We are so pleased to have Mr. Jerry J. Andrews, a senior portfolio manager at a major Wall Street firm. And just as important, he's the author of Common Sense, getting off the financial roller coaster as our in-studio guest today. Jerry, welcome to the program. Thank Drill. you for coming in. Oh,
1: Drill. thank you very much for having me here. It's a thrill to be here.
0: Well, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing about uh, Common Sense, and I love the title of the book because Common Sense is C-E-N-T-S, and we also need to S-E-N-S-C-E, or is it S-E? But um, I'm really pleased that you're going to tell us about your book. But before we jump into your book... Can you tell our audience a little bit about your your background, your education, and and then we'll get into how you came to write the book.
1: Yeah, sure. Well, last year, uh, you know, my team threw me a surprise 40th uh, anniversary party for my 40th year on Wall Street. So I've been on Wall Street for a long time, and I spent the—
0: Ladies and gentlemen, he must have started when he was two.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'm not as young as I look. (laughs) <laughs> so uh, when I when I first started on Wall Street um, I was in the currency market and uh, I was fortunate enough to uh, spend 23 years there really enjoyed it and I started off uh, working for a company and that sent me to London as a trainee and uh, I learned how to do a transaction that is uh, now done by computer but at the time was done manually and uh, I used to calculate future values of the english pound against the u.s dollar okay so Mm -hmm. i did that for about six years and then later on moved on to become a spot broker in german marks which of course don't exist anymore now it's the euro The euro that's right so i did that for uh, a pretty long time and uh sold my interest to my partners uh in 1996 and then uh you know uh you know uh was asked to work for a major New York firm, and I've been with them for about 17 years. Uh, Getting back to my initial education, um, I went to Rutgers College Mm -hmm. when, believe it or not, I started. It was an all-male college. Really? Yeah, it turned to a co-ed college the year I was a senior in 1971-72.
0: Well, see, that's a fact I didn't realize. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. So at, at the time, there was the Douglas Cor- Girls College Right, road, Douglas, right, right, right. Which is still an old girls mm-hmm, college mm-hmm. Uh, or old women's college. And yes. uh, and then Rutgers was uh, the first of the colleges of Rutgers University. So I, I, I enjoyed being there. Uh, spent my junior year um, at the University of Mexico in Mexico City. That's why on my background, you'll see that I speak both Spanish and Portuguese. I was a Latin American studies major. So that kind of got me onto Wall Street accidentally by um, by getting a job changing banknotes after I graduated college because they wanted somebody that was bilingual. And that later led me to meeting people who got me into the interbank market. So that's kind of Uh, My background, um, you know, 17 years ago, I joined this firm, and about uh, eight years ago, I developed my own strategy that uh, is designed to protect people's money. So um, that's kind of a little bit about my background.
0: And you grew up here in New Jersey?
1: I'm originally from Staten Island. Okay. All Mm -hmm. right, and uh, Mm -hmm. I gave up my New York driver's license in 1976. Uh, when I moved to South Orange, the home of Seton Hall University. Right. And as you know, I met you, Darrell, Mm -hmm. uh, at Eyes of New Jersey, yes, where both you and I are uh, board members and very devoted to an organization that is designed to to help people who can't see hear print, hear printed newspapers. And I do a show every week called Investment Preview, which is... uh, you know i read from Barron's magazine and i very nice yeah so I re- well, what day does that air uh gee that's a good question i believe it airs on monday mm-hmm. evenings but i am not right. really sure but it's all
0: up on the eyes website all up
1: on the eyes website exactly right. and that's uh, eyesofnewjersey.org dot dot
0: dot .org yes yeah. wonderful wonderful so i'm very curious in regards to uh, your investment philosophy that you, you you said you developed something special for your clients right if, right tell us about that investment philosophy
1: well most people think that uh, you know getting back to this common sense thing uh, in one of the chapters of the book and you can actually see a visual of this on uh, my website for the book which is www.financialrollercoaster.com there's a visual picture of a roller coaster And the roller coaster signifies the stock market. It goes up and down all the time. And people have statistically been proven to buy when the stock market's at its all-time high and to sell when the market's at its all-time low. If I were to ask people would they like to do that, they would say no because they know that logically that's the wrong thing to do. But actually, emotionally, that's what they do. So the two emotions that are involved are fear and greed. Fear actually trumps greed. And uh, greed is an emotion that people are tempted to buy something when they think it's going to go higher. And what we've seen in our own recent past is people thinking they couldn't lose money in real estate. People thinking they couldn't lose money in gold. And back in 2008, people thinking they couldn't lose money in the stock market. And, of course, you can lose money in any of those investments. So the objective is to develop what I refer to as an asset allocation, meaning finding the correct allocation for someone, whether they're an aggressive investor, a moderate investor, or a conservative investor. And the asset allocation means how much money you put into stocks, bonds, and money market. The philosophy that I developed will actually be compared to an old sailing ship where you have three components. You have the sail, you have the frame of the ship, the wooden part of the boat, and in the bottom of the boat, you have the ballast. The ballast in my portfolio that keeps you steady in very rough waters is the money market. The frame of the ship is the bond markets that produce income in all times. And the sales of the ship signify the stocks. So when the stock market's going up, that's the wind in the sails that gets us moving along. So I find that uh, having a visual sometimes, you know, because some of us are auditory and some of us are visual and some of us are tactile. But in terms of having a picture and actually being able to hear what it is, looks like and draw a visual picture may be helpful to many people so the concept of my portfolio is that because of this greed fear emotional tug of war that we fight with um, i have found that fear is actually three times more powerful of an emotion than greed so greed always loses out to fear SO WHAT DO WE DO TO TEMPER THAT FEAR ELEMENT OF A PORTFOLIO? WHAT WE DO IS WE BUILD IN SOMETHING CALLED A SELL DISCIPLINE. NOW, MARKETS GO UP AND DOWN, AND THAT'S CALLED VOLATILITY. IN MY OPINION, UPWARD VOLATILITY IS NOT A PROBLEM. SO IF I BUY SOMETHING FOR $10, IT GOES TO $1,000. I DON'T CONSIDER THAT TO BE VOLATILE. I CONSIDER THAT TO BE JUST THE WAY IT'S SUPPOSED TO GO. (laughs) If I buy something for $10 and it goes down to $9, well, this is where what I refer to as the pain ratio comes into play. So I developed the pain ratio because for me, positive volatility doesn't count, only negative volatility. So if something goes down 10%, it's given a week to cure. Now, what do I mean by that? By curing means that after a week, if your investment is still minus 10 or more percent, I have to make a decision. Am I going to completely get out of that position, reduce the position, or make a conscious decision to keep that? Now, the reason for the weak is because of something I refer to as noise, market noise. And um, that's kind of the way it works. And because of that, in 2008, the pain ratio came in very handy. Some of the positions that it got us out of was the financial services industry, which had a very bad year in 2008, and the Chinese stock market. And we made money in both of those sectors, but we decided to get out of the Chinese stock market after the market was down 15%. Now you might say, why didn't you get out when it was down 11%? Well, sometimes things move faster than you can project. To give you an idea of how the pain ratio works, at the end of the year, the Chinese stock market was down 65%. So we did protect clients' money. Quite a bit. Yeah. Quite a bit.
0: Wow. I, I, I've never heard the analogy of the uh, sailboat, uh, but very solid.
1: <laughs> right. Thank very you. Solid. I appreciate it.
0: So let's, let's talk about your new book, Common Sense, Getting Off of the Financial Roller Coaster. What prompted you to write this book?
1: I've read a lot of financial books, and what I've found about most of them is they tend to be pretty boring and I can tell you that because I've had to read them and uh, what I feel is though when I go into a church or a synagogue um, I find that if the priest or the uh, preacher or the rabbi tells me a story that I remember the sermon much better than if he just talks about theology so what I decided to do was to write my book um, telling stories so some of the chapters in the book will have titles that are kind of self-explanatory and um, why grandma doesn't live here anymore is one of the names of a chapter and that's a story about a woman whose uh, daughter um, wanted to take care of her mom but was physically unable to do that because her mom had alzheimer's and she was not in a financial position to take care of her mom and um, she had promised her mom years earlier that uh, she would never, ever uh, let her leave her home. But unfortunately, because of the fact that she had to take care of a little girl and she didn't have enough money to take care of her mom at the same time, uh, unfortunately, she had to put mom into a nursing home or senior facility. And I felt that that was something that could have been solved very easily by having something called learned term health care insurance, uh, which her mother could have afforded years prior, and she could have kept her promise to her mom. Grandma doesn't live here anymore. Why grandma could have lived there had she planned ahead. The first chapter in the book is uh, titled "Ashley and Claire." Uh, it's about two women who fall in love.
0: And and I might add that I, I thought I was I was compelled by the story. I, I felt like I was reading a, a novel, mm-hmm. but it was a, but it's a it's a. Th- it's a series of true stories, which which are phenomenal. I, I, I you know, I, I got kind of angry during reading the chapter because the way that the one young lady's parents were treating the partner. But uh.
1: yeah, yeah, it's um, you know I, I feel you know uh, that it is very important that um, you know because of our legal environment, um, not same-sex marriages. Uh, are treated differently than heterosexual relationships and um, although i'm heterosexual uh, i'm a big believer in fairness and um, so the story about ashley and claire is about two women who meet and fall in love and they didn't realize that they were uh, gay until they did and uh, you know the story is about two women who fall in love and uh... as time goes on one becomes very very successful and the other becomes the home caretaker and i don't want to give away too much of the story but there are some things that happen that in the end uh... could have prevented a financial disaster for one of the two partners and uh... so that 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 might be one of the reasons why your audience might want to buy the book is to see if you are a uh unmarried couple, or if you, whether you are heterosexual or same sex, that there are ways of protecting your wealth should one predecease the other that would put you into a similar tax situation as a straight couple. And,
0: and the wonderful thing about your book is that each chapter is a story. Right. So it, it just keeps you glued and intrigued to, you know, you're, you're getting a financial lesson along the way, but it's also um, entertaining in a very good way, very positive way.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that.
0: Um, Did you realize that you were such a great writer?
1: Uh, Well, actually, um, I'm not a great writer. I'm an okay writer, and that's the way I look at it. I feel as though the stories that I tell, believe it or not, they're not true stories, but they are the types of things that can happen to people. So... The way I created the book was I came up with topics that I'd like to cover everything from uh, sending children to college, credit card debt, um, financial problems that are faced by a, a widow, um, both in a younger case and an older case, mishandling a pension plan, and they all have stories. And they go back in time, and the objective is that I would like people to say that sounds like me or that sounds like somebody I know and that they can relate to the story and perhaps they could say to themselves, well, gee, maybe I should do things differently or maybe I should talk to my cousin and say, hey, have you ever thought about doing this? So it's it's kind of a practical guide to finance. The last chap, I I was very fortunate that I had a co, I shouldn't say a co-writer, but I had an editor that I hired her name is Marlene Satter. She's very talented, and she really held my feet to the fire. She um, you know I wanted to make sure that I finished this book because I thought it was important. And um, that's the reason that Marlene, who is a great writer in her own, she's written uh, fiction and she also writes for financial magazines. So she's great.
0: And so um, <clears throat> our audience who are listening today, um, they can get the book off of Amazon.com and all of the normal yes. retail outlets.
1: Right. They can go on to Amazon.com or they can go directly to the publisher's website, which is Zenjo, Z-E-N-J-O.com.
0: But also off of your website too, I'm sure. Uh,
1: if you go to the Financial Roller Coaster, www.financialrollercoaster.com, there is a hyperlink to the publisher so you can buy it directly from the publisher.
0: That's wonderful. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here with Mr. Jerry J. Andrews, who is a senior portfolio manager at a major Wall Street firm, and he is the author of Common Sense, Getting Off of the Financial Roller Coaster. So uh, I'd like to jump into, I, I believe I already know the answer to this question, but the primary objective of Common Sense what, what prompted you to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to write this book and this is going to be the main objective that I hope that the audience who buys it, that what they get from the book?
1: Right. The major objective of writing the book was to have something that was digestible by anyone, that they could pick up a book and say, hey, this chapter sounds interesting and help them solve a financial problem. So, for example, why Johnny doesn't live here anymore is about sending somebody to college. Mark Sater's Lucky Day is a story about a young guy who goes to college and uh, gets a credit card his first day, and uh, he finds out that using a credit card can at sometimes become a major problem, and, you know, making sure that you are careful about how you use credit cards. Uh, I have mentioned the uh, planning issue for uh, same-sex marriages and how they can prevent having major tax problems as well as how they can protect uh, the person that they love. And so the objective is to find ways for people to easily identify with characters and help them solve financial problems. Now, the the last chapter in the book is called Getting Off the Financial Roller Coaster. And uh, my editor, uh, Marlene Satter, who I mentioned a little while ago, I suggested that that be the first chapter of the book. And she said, well, if you don't want anybody to read your book, make that the first chapter. And that's kind of the nuts and bolts <laughs> of how I manage money. And I guess it's more like the typical boring book. But we decided to keep it in there because we felt if anybody read all the first chapters, they might actually read the last one. And I would say that uh, the entire book can be read in about two hours. It's like uh, it's a very fast it's read. It's a great read. Yeah, it's, it's a very fast read. And if you're on a train, you can just read a chapter uh, or you could share it with a friend um, it 's also available on Amazon as an audio if you want to listen to me read the chapters uh, it 's kind of painful, but I do it.
0: Oh, you have a very nice voice <laughs> <laughs> but
1: uh, so we did do that mm. and um, you know uh, one of the things that you had asked me about that i I thought could be uh, interesting and one of the reasons that you know you had asked me on was about leadership and um, you know, nobody told me to write this book. Um, I, I, I wasn't forced to write this book. Uh, I took about two years to write it. And um, I, th- I think leadership is about thinking about the other people and how other people can benefit from your knowledge or what you do. And so I, at this firm that I'm with, I, I actually have a team And uh, we manage money for a lot of people, and some companies, some not-for-profits. And we talk about leadership, and being that I run this group, I believe that leadership comes from example. That a a leader is one who is prepared to take responsibility and make decisions in the best interests of his clients, uh, his colleagues, uh, the company he works for, and to always be truthful in what you say to people so to be measured in what you promise and then to make sure that you keep your promise and when i say a promise i don't mean saying i promise i will do something if i say i will do something in my opinion that is a promise and so um that is to me what leadership is and uh, developing a strategy to protect people's money it's more important to protect people's money than it is to make money and I'll tell you why if you have hundred dollars and you lose fifty dollars you have to double your money to get back to square one using my methodology if you had hundred dollars and you lost ten dollars you have ninety dollars to get back to $99, you have to make 11%. That's not that hard to do. So in 2008, when we had the major meltdown in the financial crisis, we were down 15%. Now, that is a loss, but that's a lot better than the 38 to 43% people did lose. In uh, 2009, the market actually hit its all-time low in March. Mm-hmm. It took... The, the stock market from March of 2009 to December the 31st, 2012 to get, the, to get people back to where they were December the 31st, 2007. Using my methodology, one year after the absolute low, all of our clients were back to where they were the end of 2012, which means that we had one year and nine months to help people grow their money. Wow. So by not losing money, you actually keep more principal, And by more ke- keeping more principal, you have more money to make right. money.
0: Very nice. Wow. And how do you lead your team? How many people are, are on your we team? We have
1: a team of seven people. team of seven people. Not yeah. a small team. Well, it's, a, it's not a big team either, but it's a, it's a great team. Mm-hmm. And what we do is we divide responsibilities. Mm-hmm. So I am the CEO and CIO of the organization. We have a CMO which is a chief marketing officer. We have a COO who is the chief operating officer. Uh, we have a banker who's in charge of lending. And we have other people who are just, their job is to service our clients and call them up and let them know what's going on. And so it's, um, it's an important thing that everybody is on the same page and that we have a common interest. And our common interest is that our clients always come first. And now that is a leadership model that I believe that, you know, uh, if everybody followed, we'd have a lot less problems. Unfortunately, some people put themselves first. Other people put their company first. If you put your clients first, everything else works out. The, um, The company makes money. The people working for the company make money. It uh, really has to be a client centric focus, and that's what we do on our team
0: that is awesome and how often uh, does you, is your team pretty steady or I mean as with anything in life, there's turnover people yeah, m- the, people the, come and uh, go for a variety of reasons
1: We have a very very uh, you know we haven't actually ever lost anybody on our team oh wow yeah and um, so when That's we very impressive yeah mm-hmm. so when we when we have people come out of the team, the objective is to um, you know Make sure that everybody is uh, compensated appropriately that everybody is treated with respect Mm -hmm. and that they understand our mission and that um, you know when they come on board that um, you know i'm totally committed to them and i know that they are totally committed to the team and when you have a you know we meet every week and we go over where are we and how can we do better how can we help our clients more and that is how you how you run a team. So
0: what is some you, your culture sounds extremely professional, uh of course respectful. Um what are some of the key principles as to how do you um put these principles in place to to ensure that you're operating at a very high performance level in regards to people understanding what their work assignment is and how they work, you know, with each other cuz the financial market sometimes it can get pretty sticky, and mm-hmm. pretty emotional. Right. How do you, how do you uh, maintain that, how do you build that culture and how do you maintain it?
1: Uh, the way you build a culture is you build it together. Um, now you know, I have a vertical management style, and what does that mean that ultimately I make the decisions. Mm-hmm. but when I do make decisions, it is not without input and careful consideration of everybody's objective. But at the same time, sometimes we have to make decisions. Uh, There's a quote that General Patton made uh, back in the Second World War. He was one of America's greatest generals in the Second World War. And his quote, which hangs on my wall, is, a good plan violently executed this week is better than a perfect plan executed next week. Now, on Wall Street, that really comes into effect because you really need to sometimes make decisions when you don't have a lot of time. So the only way you can do that is by having, just as in any sport, just as the Pirates have plans for their basketball team or their baseball team or their other teams, that they know that if a certain thing happens in their game, how are they going to handle it? So they have a plan B and they probably have a plan C. So what we've done is we've rolled out a whole bunch of different plans, what happens if scenarios. When you do that, everybody starts to buy into what could we do and you start to imagine what would be the best thing that you could possibly do. Then you create what you think is the best plan and then you start to think about is this really the best plan. So we created something called the Diablo portfolio. Now the Diablo is Spanish for devil and we decided maybe it would make sense for us to create a portfolio if something really bad happened like 9/11 how would you react so there's all different types of financial instruments that we can um, that we can utilize and um, we put it together and it looked really great and then we realized that perhaps that wasn't a smart plan because what we were constructing would be the type of portfolio that would have been perfect to have in place the day before 9/11 So we stepped back and we decided that if that were the case, that we would make half of our position immediately cash, and the reason for that is that sometimes you hear that something terrible has happened, and then you hear it is not as bad as you thought it was, and therefore the Diablo plan could have been a disaster because if we had done that, uh, we would have ended up putting our clients into what we thought would be the wrong position the following day. So one of the reasons that we have this um, one-week policy, you know, uh, in general, is to uh, prevent us being caught up in what I refer to as noise. And noise is what you hear on the radio every single day. So anytime you turn on the radio, if it's a great day in the market, they talk about why it was great. If it's a bad day in the market, they talk why it was bad. And they hawk fear and they hawk greed. And we try to avoid the noise of the market.
0: Wow. Jerry, that was great. Believe it or not, we're out of time. Wow. But you know what? I would love to have you back on the program to talk more about this because you have a very well-thought, very deep understanding of the financial markets and strategy. And I think our audience would benefit from that.
1: Well, I'd be very happy to come back.
0: Wonderful. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, we are here with Mr. Jerry J. Andrews, who is a senior portfolio manager at a major Wall Street firm, and he is the author of Common Sense, Getting Off of the Financial Roller Coaster, as our in-studio guest today. Jerry, thank you for coming on the program.
1: Darrell, thank you very much for having me.
0: Okay. This is Darrell Gunter, your host of Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. Remember... You can catch our program on iTunes under iTunes U, Seton Hall University. Look for Leadership, and you'll see this broadcast. Have a great weekend, and remember, leadership begins with you. Have a great weekend.